Today on Much More Muchier, we speak with Vernon Wells, actor in The Christmas Tapes, and Rob Livings, director, writer, and cinematographer of The Christmas Tapes, releasing December 16th. Hey there! Hi, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Kira? I am great, especially since I get to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited because I was raised on like all of your older movies in the 80s, like Commando and Mad Max 2. Like my dad and I would watch that together and uh, it was very fond memories. So I'm really excited to be able to be here and speaking with you. Well, I um, I have very fond memories too. I'm not quite sure of what, but uh, damn it. Uh, well, I mean, you've, you've lived a long life. You've experienced so much. Just, I was reading up on your history as far as like you starting off in Australia doing the play and then moving on into that and then starting commercials where then they found you and they're like, we need a big guy. You're awesome for this. Let's throw you into Mad Max too. And that was kind of like where it all kind of took yeah, off from. It was actually funny because I never wanted to be an actor. It was uh, one of the few things that I never wanted to do. Um, but I loved the process of making a film or making a commercial, the behind the scenes, the cameraman, the lighting, all that stuff. That fascinated me. And uh, my mother was a songwriter. And so I thought, well, I'll follow in her footsteps because I always had that thing music in my head. So I became a singer in bands. And that, that was where I found my, I thought, you know, this is my life. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. Well, drugs and sex. Um, but it was sort of, that was the way it, it, it was for me. And they wanted me to do a stage play and I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to be an actor. And they kept persisting and drove me mad. And eventually I said, yes. And my biggest problem was, was it was about uh, a transvestite and a boyfriend and i'm a little boy from the country you know i grew up wrestling cows and and you know doing this whole bullshit playing a transvestite's boyfriend no and it was just totally not doing it and finally when i did do it the opening scene of this stage play was me coming on stage dressed in leather and stripping naked and masturbating in front of the audience who were exactly three and a half feet from the front of my manly part. Um, and and you said, you know, they, they decided, hey, he's big and we'll put him in a movie. George Miller's girlfriend saw me and she rang George and she said, George, you gotta come see this guy. He seriously, he walks on stage and he just lights the place up. People just can't take their eyes off him. And I said, <laughs> yeah, of course they can't, I'm naked. Um, but it was, um, that was how it all began. And you know, you're saying, yeah, did I have things to worry about? It was um, an interesting way to get into the movies. Well, and and you know what? It's really that's that's like such a funny that's like that's an amazing way to get into the movies. But also, you went from wearing leather and then to nothing into like assless chaps in Mad Max, you know. So it wasn't a huge stretch. <laughs> no, it was actually I had more clothes but less coverage. Um, but no, uh, and it's you know it's it's been really um, an amazing journey. I, I've gone from that to. 375 films later. Um, 
and working with idiots like oh, oh I'm sorry Rob uh, working with really nice people like Rob <laughs> um, no uh yeah I, it, it's we were I just talking on another podcast with a guy and and he said you get the most amazing roles um, people seem to just gravitate to you and say we're doing this film what can you do with it Rob was kind of the reverse he said I'm doing in a film and we don't want you but we can't find anybody else so you'll You're do Australian it. you'll do <laughs> yeah you you'll do um and just bloody do what you're told um but no uh it's the same as I was talking about this um and Rob I don't know whether you'll agree that somebody asked me why did I do Santa Claus who is this brutal kind of person and I said, you know, to me, it's it's based on primal fear. When we all came down out of the trees, everything on the ground wanted to kill us. So every time we stepped, we were scared stiff we we're going to die. And so there was this fear of the unknown. But then there were things that we could rely on that, that were always there. And we have that now, like Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny. All these things, the things that we rely on to always be the same, no matter what happens, Santa Claus is this jolly old man who's ho-ho-hoing and taking gifts to the children. The clown. Clowns are supposed to be funny. And, and so it goes. And But when you take that security blanket and make Santa Claus into this totally out-of-control murderous son of a bitch... Um, you destroyed this fantasy for everybody. My God, how do we give our kids Christmas presents from Santa now? You know, like, I sat on his knee when I was sick. Oh, dear God, what did I do? Um, so I, I, that's what I loved about it. And um, when Rob asked me to do it, and we talked about it. I just taking an icon and screwing him up. Was, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I can have fun. With how it. can I, how could I make him like the most hated person in the planet and run it for everybody now? <laughs> but uh, no, I loved it. I keep pestering him to find out if he's ever going to use me again. <laughs> I really enjoyed working with him and the, his partner. Um, it was, what I liked about it was that, you know, every movie has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. And usually it's a one and a half hour process to do that. We managed to do it in what, 35 minutes? <laughs> well, what the, the short, yeah, we've got to start, middle, end in about what, 22 minutes, I think, for that segment. Yeah. Yeah, we managed to put a whole movie together in 22 minutes that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And it all makes sense and it comes together and you watch it. And every one of the movies he's got in this thing, exactly the same which is what I loved about it, that you're able to use that short time to make a movie. And uh, that was me. Wow. They're playing Santa with my own beard. That was the thing we discussed. Shall we put a beard on him? Why, I've got one. <laughs> there was the discussion where it's like, would it be funny? Um, <laughs> and it, would it be it, funny to put a beard over the beard? Yeah. Or at least under, but it, we felt it would probably be off-putting and just look like a, an art department mistake as opposed to people getting what we were trying to do. I, th I think it would have been hysterical, actually, to have Sander with a beard. Then when, when he's talking, he goes, oh, and then he's got a beard. Yeah, and then he's got another beard. That would have been hilarious. Uh, we're writing that down for next time because there's going to be a next time with uh, Vernon here as, as Santa, right? He's going to go pillage a village or something he'll have a he'll have a russian doll of beards that just keep keep coming off 
<laughs> I like that idea. But start off with the little one. They gradually get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> For the Australia screening, so yeah, we're doing a live Q and A like into Zoom. Thank you. I was yeah. So Randy did not send me that information. What is the information for their live Q and A? Okay, so we have a virtual live Q and A at the premiere in Perth, West Australia. Uh, that's December eleventh, um, and then I think it looks like we might have sold that one out yesterday. So that's good. And then we have an in person one, which Vernon and Dave Sheridan are coming up for. Uh, on the 14th of December in uh, Sacramento. We're coming up on the 13th. You're showing up on the 13th. You've got the you've got the signing event and then, yep, coming in the next day. I also, I also manage people's schedules. It's, no. <laughs> oh, man, my, my schedule is like... Uh, well, you've got a lot in the works right now, Vernon, because I was looking it up and like you are an actor-producer you are now a director because you've got SOS coming out, which is your first directed piece. That's and you heard, but we won't tell anyone. Oh. oh, IMDB lied to me then. Uh, no, I do I, research. I was directing things and not putting my name on them because um, oh. we direct together. And so I wouldn't put my name. But on SOS, because I actually did the film, he said, your name's on it as director. And I said, well, put your own name on it. He said, no. I went, anyway. <laughs> so now I'm, you're a sneaky then. You're a sneaky one. You I, fly I, under that radar. I have uh, I have fun doing all this stuff. It's just good. Yeah. Anyway, Kira, if you're free, you can come up. I need somebody with me. <laughs> oh, I would love to. I'll, I'll have to figure out a way to hitchhike there. It ended up time. Where were you? <laughs> I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm, a, I'm a ways. Oh, and your yeah. father showed you my films. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, like, but my dad was like, he he um like I told Randy this, but I was raised on like I watched Exorcist at five. My mom uh wouldn't whenever she was around let me watch those movies, but when my dad was there, I got to watch the cool things. She she kept telling him that he's gonna really screw me up somehow watching all of these movies and and all of that. So it's, it didn't. I'm normal, I think. It always amazes me that people get that attitude. I, I love it when someone will come up to me at a convention or something, and I'll say, they'll have their their son who's now like twelve, and they'll come up and they'll go, "So this is that young man we saw in the movie the other night, son." And I'll go, "Which one?" And he. Oh, we watched uh, Road Warrior and he loved it. Uh, how old is he again? He's 12. Well, I'll jot that down. Mass murderer on the way. I mean, seriously, <laughs> the kid's 12 and you're letting him watch this stuff? Yeah, like I was, but see, I was raised on all of that. I was raised on, you know, Mad Max, Commander, like every Stallone, every Bruce Willis, every Arnold movie. Uh, known to man I was raised on on top of like every horror all the way from C to A list horror I watched and <gasps> hello hey. how are One you of my favorite people I'm good how, how are you? you I'm good I'm glad he's your favorite he's not mine oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah Randy found an interruption and came in <laughs> yeah that's fine We'll take all. It's the more the merrier, right? It's a party. It's a party now. Yeah, what, Let me go get my wine. 
I've been trying to work out. You're either in the prop in the wardrobe department or they're in your um, closet at your house. Which is it? It's wardrobe at the work. Yeah. Oh. I want to. I, I would. <laughs> if he had a spotted red uh, shirt like that or a dress like that in his private closet, I might be a little, little questioning about that. Like right there in the background. No, you see it? I, I just go. Yeah, yeah, is that every day? It's my uh, YMCA hat. Hey, just, you just moonlight a, on the weekends yeah more distractions guys Randy, I'm going yeah. bye. he's done he <laughs> bye <did>. Randy <laughs> okay so um anyway uh Robert since I only have you here for a short time let's go ahead and, and nail you down with this one I like your arms I saw yeah. them because you're holding the package and you're running around with it I was like wow Rob's got some nice looking arms yeah well, what, I'm, uh, one of my conditions when I made this movie was that I got to show my arms. So uh, that was, I said, Randy, if we're not showing my arms, I'm not doing it. Um, no. <laughs> well, thank you. I'd just come off a week of uh, COVID and uh, it was 108 degrees or something out here. And I had to run around all day with that helmet on my head with the camera. And it was, it was a lot, but it was really good to just, um, to, to get that, that film done. Cause that was such a weird segment for us. Um, I'm assuming you had like a camera on your head or a GoPro or something? Like no, so, yeah, so that. I have a, a proper rig. Um, I'm using it for another PO, it's a POV rig. It's a full helmet with weights at the back. Um, and then the whole, this like jaw piece comes down which the camera goes on. Um, and then there's a monitor that sticks over the top. It looks pretty, it looks like you're doing motion tracking but you're just shooting. Um, and yeah, so it's a lot heavier than a GoPro. I think in the end we'd have probably got the same result with a GoPro but we wanted to keep everything at a, at a certain uh, camera quality. Um, right. So yeah, it was, it was a lot, uh, but it was, it was fun. I just had to do a lot of running after pretty much being bedridden for a week. So yeah, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I'm it's, sorry. Do what you got to do, right? Make a movie. But, yeah. <laughs> so I like, um, I like this anthology, uh, the way that you guys did it. And the most beautiful magical part about it all is, is you guys do ad-libbing like throughout the whole thing you just have the, the the structure of it and then you let the actors actually fill in the meat of of the creature that it ends up turning out to be which I think brings about a whole like realistic and raw sorts of flow to it you know it's not like being stopped and started so what is the hardest part about the way that you guys do movies with it being that way yeah, I mean, this is our third film together, so we've kind of got it down in that format. I think the hardest part is not knowing, like, um, sometimes not knowing where an actor's going to take something, but it always surprises us, and it always it, it's always a positive thing, and there's always something that comes up that we never thought of. Um, I really, like Vernon, for example, like, the you, he has two tones in his voice in this film, and you have the... I'm being playful, but there's something not quite right versus, all right, this is Sinister Santa. And uh, and it's that that level of dropping. And But the fact that Vernon was pulling back from, like, so he'd be in that sinister mode. And then suddenly he's talking to his wife. He's a good husband. Mrs. Claus is over there. And then suddenly he's back in sinister. Like, And the content of what he's saying, like things like that um, really surprise us. So obviously like that doesn't make it difficult at all, but it's like, we we go into a shoot and we hope that everyone's gonna do it. And obviously, like we had no no doubts with someone of Werner's experience. Um, and I think casting is actually that takes us to casting. So casting some of the other roles, 
Um, it can be difficult. We're very big on looking at improv comedians, even though we're not shooting necessarily straight up comedy. Um, it's a really good way to find people who don't have those tells. Like when people first get into improv, there's that very quick look left or look right, or people have these little ticks, which are very, which is just natural to us as humans. Um, the first thing of learning improv comedy and improv acting is basically teaching yourself about 20 different ticks so that uh, when you're thinking, you're doing a different thinking thought each time. So the audience doesn't see that you're thinking, right? Um, and so like, yeah, really tracking down someone who isn't, trying to drive the story forward with exposition um and and it's really just they're trying to get to their point and it's, it's about what we see not what we say so yeah that's really cool um and that's a really that's a really neat little trick that you guys do with the improv comedians i would never have thought of that but then again i interviewed dave the other day so it kind of i guess makes sense <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, he he jumped into a dramatic monologue, which was at this, the same time the most serious and painful part of the whole film. Yet it's also one of the funniest moments. And <laughs> it's like, uh, and and we didn't see that coming. Like first take of that, everyone in the room lost it, and it was just like, obviously, we with a comedy. And I'm sure, I'm sure, Vernon, it's frustrating if you're doing a comedy and someone's on set and they're laughing and it ruins a take, right? But when there's a script, there's no excuse. Everyone should know what's coming and what's about to happen. Like in improv, you can get caught off guard. Um, I wear, I'm honestly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear a mask when I'm shooting forever because I, I can stand there smiling and it doesn't affect anybody behind the camera. Um, so, but uh, yeah, if I, uh, if I, I, I would have definitely ruined um uh, vernon's day if i wasn't wearing a mask <laughs> some of the things that that he was saying so right and like um like you were saying about vernon's character and this like i like how he picks the guy up and he gives like this whole long diatribe of a pep talk almost like you know that's you know what are you doing for christmas and then you know goes into this deep like introspective monologue while he's talking to this guy so you sit there and you're like man this guy is really really complex really awesome he's such a good guy and then you know the rule the rug is pulled out and you're sitting there like no he's not he's really not such a good guy <laughs> I think so that was my favorite line is the when when uh, the character dean says something about um like how he's glad some kid doesn't have parents because he ruined the santa claus myth for his kids and uh just vernon's like, oh no no that's not christmas cheer uh, like i think that's one of the funniest lines not just in the segment but in the entire film um because it just he, he just then continues talking as if that never happened <laughs> um so yeah no it, it's it's a great character that you brought to us vernon we're very lucky to have you on board uh, hey i loved it. I, my favorite line in it was i am the piper and the piper must be paid. So I had a question without angles with you, because this is something that I noticed with infrared. And I also noticed with this one is your angles are beautifully done. Like in infrared, you had the through the window, almost the office look while they're talking on the basketball court. And then in this one, you had some really great angles that made things Oh, I don't know. It just put the extra like emotional spin on things. I mean, you wouldn't think it, you wouldn't think it by looking at 
I guess these two films because I would I would say it would be hard pressed to say I was a cinematographer on them because I was obviously I was operating the camera and I was shooting everything but we weren't lighting and a lot of it was kind of on the fly um but yeah no I'm a I'm a cinema like I've, I have a cinematography degree um I I I'm really interested in long lenses I I really like that voyeuristic kind of looking in so even though we were in a relatively small room for the the Christmas scene I was quite far back for as much as I could be without getting too much shape from the handheld and zoomed in as far as I, I could be I love that idea that when you're on a telephoto or when you're you're zoomed in longer in this case um that how it closes in that background and it really it kind of gives you more of that claustrophobic feel uh so that's just something that I genuinely like um I did a film a few years back called Weekend Healer where we shot I think the widest lens is 120 mil. <laughs> like it's, uh, I was, I was very uh, like, I really liked that peering in kind of feel. Um, and I think that's what really, like, I like that with the, the, the Santa one is especially because it's probably a, it's weird to say it, but like the one with the killer Santa is probably the most grounded film in the anthology. Um, Cause it doesn't, it doesn't live in a supernatural universe. It, it lives in, as, as Vernon was saying earlier, it talks, it, it lives where like that human fear is. Um, so yeah, I think having that kind of feel there worked really well. And also just in that room, we were kind of limited. It was, it was a dance studio. So there was mirrors on every wall, except like, the one behind uh, where most of the action was taking place. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we direct, I don't know if you remember Vernon, like we had Laurie consistently like Mrs. Claus moving so that we could change up that angle. So it wasn't just this, this boring, like straight on one thing. Cause that, that's going to lose, lose interest pretty quickly. So but thank right. you for liking the angles. I haven't got that question before. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, no, it's like one of my favorite things. I do photography. So that's kind of where I, I can see the angles. And I'm like, that is a beautiful shot, you know? And um, that's the thing that really speaks out to me is those shots, those angles. Uh, can we get your brother, I come to find out, who is your twin and um, Harry. Can we get him to do a Christmas tape remix with like, all of that because I really liked his song at the end he was that was I, I feel like he did that in two or three days I can't remember I was just like hey I really need this um and I was like I just want a punk rock uh was it Silent Night and yeah he, he did it but he kind of added a Bowie twist to it but we were talking last night about he was like I need you to make more I need you to make like theme songs for each character for no reason other than just for fun but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't he's always playing around in his studio well, tell him that I'm looking forward to a soundtrack to go with this for each character, please. And thank you. Like, here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. Right down Santa Claus Lane. That's a perfect one for Vernon's. Yeah. As long as it I mentions Mrs. Claus giving a foot rub, I think it will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We will make sure to add that one in with background vocals or something. Well, um, I appreciate you. I know that you've got to get going, Rob. So thank you so much for coming and uh talking with me for a second yeah let me know if you guys need anything else um i'll i'll leave okay. it to Brandon. and uh yeah thanks so much okay. bye bye mate oh, i love those guys oh they're some of my favorites i quite honestly some of my favorites they're uh, okay they're a pack of uh yeah well they're australian what do you expect bloody hell <laughs> Um, and the piper, and the piper. Because <laughs> you don't get a whole lot of really great one-liners anymore. Mm. The 80s 
rocked for those. And this one was just like one of those good one liners that I was just like, oh, that's dark. That is so dark. Yeah, but it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So um, for those who might also not know, he was in Weird Science, which is another one that I know him from. But for the younger crowd who, you know, is younger than me, obviously, uh, Power Rangers, Rancic, he was, and Diablo, for any video gamers out there, he did additional voices for Diablo 3. Yes, so, so with um, one of the lead voices for um, Duas X Mankind Divided. There you go. That's good. You know what? You should really think about going into doing like the Mr. Movie voice after this because I think you could rock it. Yeah. They In a time. Do it. They are, they, they, actually, the gentleman who, who started all of that with the uh, and now, in a world yeah. divided, he became my mentor for quite a while because my agency, my voiceover agency, um, he was one of the owners. And he was fascinated with my voice for some strange reason. And he used to say to me, don't try to be me because you can't be me. You have to be you and just do your own thing. But um, he said, you, you just, you're it. But it doesn't intrigue me that much. That kind of I like doing uh, doing games. I must admit, I love doing games because they're I can have fun. I can get out there and and do it. I I did one uh, where I played um, Samael, the fallen angel, in the game, and they've done three. They're doing another one, a fourth one, which I'll probably be doing Samael again. And it was so funny because when they did the second one, they took me into the studio to to the voice. And I was standing there and I said, we'll play you some of what you did in the first one so you can get your voice. And I said, oh, great. So I got my headphones on and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and this thing, and, and they, they saw the look on my face and they stopped it. They said, is anything wrong, Vern? I went, what's that? And they said, that's you. And I went, that is? And they went, oh, crap, um, hang on a sec. And they, and they played it again. They said, we forgot to take off all the stuff that we do to your voice for when we play it, right? And I was sitting there, now my voice is just me and I'm listening to the way I do it. And I said to the producer, I said, why me? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you put all that manipulation on my voice, you could use anybody, for goodness sake. And he said, now nah, we like the way you laugh. I said, oh. And he said, so we love your voice, dude. You just got, you have a, a thing. And he said, that's why you're doing it. And I went, oh, that's why. Yeah. Well, you've got a grittiness to your voice, which works for like those kinds of like darker characters because it's like, it, it almost is, you know how you've got the major tones which are happier in music and then you've got those minor tones which are sad it almost has like a minor grit to it so that way you're just sitting here like kind of always on the edge like hmm okay this guy is really and that so that's what threw me off with the santa claus because you went really high upbeat with that and i'm sitting here like i have never seen you like that before hmm so it was really fun to see what you were doing with that. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. I, uh, 
good friend of mine, um, my neighbor, she uh, came to a, a screening the other night and she was, um, we've done a film, a couple of films together. And she said, you know what's so intriguing about you apart from watching you on screen? And I said, what? She said, the modulation in your voice. She said, you can take three words and make them the scariest three words God ever created. Or you can just make them like, I love you and you're the only thing in the world. And she said, I hate you for doing that. I went, I True though. Doing it. And she said, that's what makes it so good. It's fun. It's fun. We like it. Um, so with this, I know that you had mentioned that the reason why you really liked playing Santa Claus is, is playing off of that humanity bit. Yep. Um, did you know what you were going into? to with Rob and Randy before you went into it? Um, after we, we talked, I did, because I, I was talking to, to Rob and Randy about the character and everything. And they said, you do understand that we don't write scripts, we write outlines, and then you do it. And I went, what? <laughs> like raising one eyebrow? And they went, you, you do it. It's sort of an ad lib thing. Really? And they said, yeah. And I said, you're going to trust me with an ad lib thing? And they went, yeah, it'll be fun. And I went, oh, you have no idea. And it was, it's, I love doing that. That's, that's, I have this thing deep inside me. I feel I'm a comedian. Nobody else does, but I do. Um, and it was just this moment in my life where I could actually have fun and do it because I was in control. I wasn't reading, uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't repeating someone's lines that they had written and trying desperately not to keep changing them. Um, there's a very short story, a good friend of mine, I was doing that <laughs> and living um, little thing. And he said, you know what, I'm doing this uh, movie after I finish this, I'd like you to do it. I'll bring the script in tomorrow. And I said, ah, cool. He brought in the script, you know, in the script cover, name on the whole bit, and I opened it and blank pages. And I looked at him, I said, there's nothing on the pages. And he went, yeah, why the hell would I bother to write it? You're not going to follow it. And I just thought that was the funniest thing. It was just so cool that he just pulled one off on me because usually I'm the one doing that, that crap. And he just got me and I went, okay, fine. You win this one. But uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, somewhere in there, there's a comedian just trying to get out and no one will let him. And they do. They, they, they're so. happy to let me do it. I don't know. I think you're hilarious. I've left, I don't know how many times since we've been on. So it's, I think you have missed your calling and now you need to move more into the comedy sector of, of things. Like, you know, Mr. Magoo, I'm sure is going to be reboot soon because everybody's rebooting things. You could do it. I could do it. Yes, I could be Mr. McGee. You could, you could do it. I mean, you could do Leslie Nielsen. It'd be great. I'd love to do that, Leslie. Nielsen. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I still, my my favorite um, movie is uh, oh, what's it called? Airline or whatever it's called. The one that Leslie. Airplane. Airplane. Don't call I, me Shirley. Yeah, don't call me Shirley. Yeah, I I do love that. It's just one of those wonderful movies would you like to come up to the uh, cockpit and sit on the captain's knee <laughs> I just, it's like 
Leslie, you have got perverted in your old age, and it's wonderful. Um, because that was watching him, a man that we were so used to watching in all these dramatic roles, and he was so good at what he did, be a total lunatic. And everybody else in it were all major stars that were known for doing all these wonderful, wonderful things who just total lunatics doing this wonderful comedy. And it worked. That was the point. It worked so well. Because I think it's that whole thing that if you take an actor and you put him in um, in some in a position of that he's not used to, that he doesn't do, he will do it better than anybody else you'll get because he's there doing something that he's wanted to do all his life. Suddenly he's got that moment and it's like things that we know we can do. You know, you're the killer. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, you get stereotyped in and kind of pigeonholed. I have to keep changing it so that I can at least make it fun. Yeah, I can see where you were pigeonholed. Um, I'm hoping, though, that this helps break you out so that way you can actually do some comedy. Well, I've done um, like three or four movies in the last uh, 12 months that I think will change a whole perception. Now, there's you talked of one which you loved, which was Frost where I, I just play the father. And um, there's another one which is coming out very shortly uh, called The uh, Monster Within, which I play a fallen priest uh, who's trying to help a an ex-student of mine um, to the devil. Um, and I keep trying to convince her that I can't do it because I'm not a priest anymore. I got thrown out of the priesthood. And she sort of and eventually I do help her but there's this wonderful scene in it where I'm confronted by the devil who says you you can do nothing to me because you're worse than I am priest who have you touched lately and it's just this whole wonderful scene and I just love it and I let him go right through it and then finally I say ah, oh by the way You've been lying to everybody and you didn't tell anybody your real name, but I know it. And it's this wonderful little piece where it suddenly, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I love that. And then I did um, Sully Floss, which is a set of kids' books. You might have read one or you may not have. I play the grandfather in Sully Floss, which I had so much fun and I just love it. And then from that, they, they put me into Geek, which is about a little um, alien that comes down to Earth. And uh, these kids find it, and they're trying to protect it. And I play this um, curmudgeon who has this big uh, car wrecking yard. And I've said for years that the aliens are coming, and damn it, they're here. And I do this whole, and I'm just totally this, Real, I asked to be polite. Um, I got this is just so cool. I'm getting to play things, and from that, uh, a, a director called um, Young Lady Lana Reed up in Ohio, she's put me in five films where I've played straight roles: father, a doctor. Um, the worst one I did was, um, I think the the second last one that I did with her in which I play an ex-husband who's trying to destroy his ex-wife 
for no good reason. But it's playing all these different roles um, that I never had the chance to play. I was always, it was like this thing. People had a little, you know, cardboard thing. They went, uh, what are we doing? What are we casting? Oh, the killer. Yes, yes. Let me see. Oh, we've got Joseph. Oh, Vernon's available. Why don't we get Vernon to do it? Was yeah. That where you get to the point of where you go, huh, can't I do anything else? You know, I'm, I'm an right. At one stage, I gave up acting out of it. I just said, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. I'm just out. Excuse me. I'm yeah. out of here. Um, I don't want to do it. But unfortunately, as I say to the, the kids when I'm uh, teaching, um, acting's like a really heavy drug. Mm. It'll never let you go because every time you try to get away from it, you have withdrawal and then you have to call back. Um, yeah. That was my problem. I would, and then back I would come because I, I couldn't stay away from it. It's that, I love the adrenaline rush. I'm a junkie. Um, the adrenaline rush, when you walk on the set, people always say to me, you must do amazing auditions. I do the worst auditions in God's creation. Seriously, if people wanted to put me in movies because they auditioned me, I would never work because I hate it. I'm working with a casting agent who really doesn't care. You know, she just wants to get her job done. So she's not really giving you anything or any way of making it sound good. And you're in a, a, a room with a camera. How the hell do you create a character in there? I, I love it when I've got a crew, a cast, and everything's there, and I walk on the set, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'll make you a baby. Um, it's that adrenaline, adrenaline rush, and uh, it's me. And um, in this, <laughs> playing Santa, yeah, it was my whole wish. I've, I've been a clown. I played a clown who was a little bit, but un unfortunately, he wasn't the bad one. He gave his life to save his daughter. But still, it was a broken clown, and it was another stereotype that I was able to do, that I, I was allowed to do these things in it. Like, there's one scene that the director always says to me, he says, it's my uh, gotti scene. And I'm just sitting at a table in a restaurant talking to my daughter and her new boyfriend. And um, he says, she goes to the toilet, and he looks at me, because I know he's the killer. And he knows I know, so there's not a lot I can do about it. I gotta find evidence. And he just looks at me and he says, "The clown, you're not very funny." And I go, eh. "For a killer, you're not very scary either." And so it's this little <laughs> thing, of, you know, back and forth. And yeah, the zing and the banter. I yeah. like that. And it was it was kind of fun doing it, but um, then I realized that I have to sort of set myself up to get him set up to find it, let people get the the information, um, and it means I will probably die. But uh, it's it's fun. Um, but again, it's it's that thing that you you can take a simple role like Santa, but you can. Turn it into something that people like yourself go, whoa, that was so cool. You did things that I would never have expected. That to me is what acting is all about. Um, 
I hate it when you go to a movie and you see two people who are supposed to be in love and you go, I think you'd like to kick her ass right now and probably have sex with the dog. Um, Mm -hmm. Why am I watching this? Yeah. I I prefer to get involved with something where you believe the characters are what they are. You know, that's why when I play... um, killers i i put everything into it because i want you to walk out of that theater going dear god i do not want to run into that son of a bitch on a dark night and funnily enough that's what george miller said to me i was talking to him after uh, mad max and they were, i was actually in japan at the the opening for fury road and we went out and had dinner and i was talking to george i said why me george and he went what, what are you talking about i said you, you'll love this I said, number one, I'd never done a movie in my life, period. I'd done some extra bits on television and I directed commercials. Why me? And he said, well, my girlfriend saw you naked on stage and thought that you looked really good. And I said, thank you. I needed that. My ego is now shot to shit. Um, But, and he said three reasons. And I said, what? So the first reason was I needed someone big enough that if, he was walking down a dark lane and you were walking down a dark lane and you saw him, you would turn around and get the hell out of the dark lane. And I said, okay. And he said, two, I needed someone who if I asked them to jump off a tall building, they would not ask me why. They would go, oh, okay, when? He only said, because I needed someone that was unjaded by the business. And he said, the third one was the one that had to be. And I said, well, what was that? He said, I had to have someone that when they were in that, that costume and the majority of people that see this movie will be girl, you know, women who will bring their boyfriends or husbands, but the majority will be women. They had to look at that character and go, oh my God, I could screw him to death right now. And I went, well, you got two. You missed out on the last one. What's your point? And he said, no, I actually got exactly what I wanted. And it was that was his whole thing that the sexuality that comes out of me when I'm working, which I don't even know, was what he had to have to make that character work. Because women had to look at Wes and go, not oh god. And I was it was funny because it suddenly made me realize that a good murderer or a good killer is not someone who has pimples and scars and old things on his face. He's someone who is good looking, charismatic, and who you would go home with without thinking about, knowing that he's a killer. To me, the greatest version of that was Sean Connery as 007. Mm -hmm. That whole thing, you knew. I mean, Sean was a hired assassin for God's sake. But he could walk up to a girl and just, and they knew him and they knew what would happen. He could take them home and were they going to be alive in the morning or not? But they'd still go. Right. And that was what I tried to base the characters I play on is that you have that sensuality involved within the character itself so that you can find something in there that appeals to you and attracts you, even though you know what he is, you're still attracted to some part of what he does. And that makes him more scary. 
It really does. It makes it more terrifying that, that you now are prepared to go the distance with this character. And it's like, right. <laughs> Scary. Well, and see, you and um, Clancy Brown. Oh, Clancy. I think uh, he has the same kind of like style of villain that you do. Like he's, no. he, with the, whenever he did Highlander, uh, he had the same kind of grit, bad boy, you know, charismatic and charming thing going for him. And I think, you know, he's another one that got pigeonholed into playing the villain. Yep. And uh, even to this day, he still is because he was in the new Dexter as the villain. And yep. I'm sitting here like, you know, it it's really seems like the service to you guys because we're not seeing your range. We're not getting that. And that's what I'm loving about where I see your career going now is I get to see so much of your range. It is incredible. And I'm like, what if we had had this for like the last 20 years? <laughs> what if? So. Um, However, my grandfather always used to say to me, you have a destiny, my son. And that destiny is where you will be or won't be. You have choices to make. And if you follow it, you will get to where you need to go. However, you will never get there before you should be there. And I always remember that, that he always used to say to me, two things you'll never change in your life, the day you're born, the day you die. You just work between them and that's laid out for you. And if you are smart enough to follow it, you'll get everything you want. And I think from his perspective and from mine is I couldn't have handled it 20 years ago. You understand what I'm saying? I would, I would probably have screwed it up and lost it. Whereas now, because I have got to such a point in my life and I'm so relaxed and so I don't care because I know what I'm doing. I know what I can do. So I don't have to have that. I just wander onto the set talk to anybody that works with me i just wander onto the set and i'm like yeah what's happening dude even these guys uh vernon are you with us or have you left what the, the movie oh shit we're filming aren't we sorry oh uh, yeah yeah i'll be you know um because it's i've got to that point now where i don't need to prove anything i don't have to go on the set and be vernon wells the actor now i can go on the set and be vernon wells the dumb shit and enjoy myself and the, the what comes out is a, a lot better than what came out and don't get me wrong I, I don't deny I did some brilliant movies when I was younger but it's now I'm a lot more relaxed and a lot more giving and a lot enjoying and I do it for fun and I have so much fun doing it um, and I think that is what my grandfather was trying to make me understand. You know, it's not going to come because you want it to come. It's going to come when you, as a human being and an individual, are ready for it. Otherwise, you're going to screw it up. It's like having a hot cup of coffee. You're not going to take a mouthful because you know it's going to burn like shit. So you're going to sip it. But then when it's got to that point where you're sipping and you go, oh, yeah, now I can drink it, you're going to drink it. And that's virtually the same thing. It was all in its own time, a little bit by little bit by little bit. Now, I'm at the drinking part. I, I take roles now, and I probably would have turned a lot of these down because I would have been scared of them to do them. It would have been like, nah. 
And the funny thing is, there's a good, good friend of mine, a, a director who um, John uh, passed away a few years ago, but he took me from being the villain to being a good guy. And he said to me one day, he rang me up and he said, I want you to do a film with for me. And I said, sure, because I'd love working with him. And he said, it's Jekyll and Hyde. And I went, oh, yeah, I'm going to play Jekyll. And he said, no. Oh, I'm going to play Hyde. No. Oh, shit. What am I playing? He said, you're playing Jekyll's best friend. And I went, what? Jekyll's best, huh? Hey, but he'll be a good guy. And he said, yeah. And I went, oh, no, I can't do that. I was terrified. No, I can't do that. And he said, yes, you can. I said, no, no, I can't. Oh, God damn. And I worked myself up to such a point that I convinced myself I could not play a good guy on film. It would not work. And you know what got me out of it? First day on set, I walked on the set and this guy walked over and he said, here's your co-star. And it was a nine-month-old chimpanzee. And I did that yeah. film with this little animal attached to my hand or <laughs> sitting next to me watching what I was doing. He'd get his head down watching me. And then he would mimic me. If I was doing it, here we go. Behind me, it was hysterical. This little tiny animal was mimicking me and he got me out of this stupidity of being inside my own brain and trying to outthink myself when I didn't need to do it. So he made me suddenly understand this chimp was being smarter than I was and funnier. And so I went, okay, you win. You got me. <laughs> um, and I had so much fun with that, that. And the guy had said to me right at the start of the film, he said, don't just be careful because it's chimpanzee. It could break your arm. It could chew your face off. I mean, you know, they, that's what they are. And I said, yeah, okay. And he oh, said, very good. Chew your face off, huh? Come to you. Um, you don't go to it, you know. And I said, yeah, that's fine. And the first thing it did was I was walking a, a, to the toilet and it walked up and grabbed my finger and swung my hands. We walked to the toilet. I said, you know, I'm going to the toilet. So um, unless you're going to help me, you can't come in with me. Um, and it waited for me. So I came out, grabbed my hands, back to the set. And the funny thing was that I realized so much that we, we try to categorize everything, you know, chimp, vicious. Maybe it's cool right now, but it could turn, you know. Um, where the, the, the other side of that is, chimp, adorable, lovable, just wanted to be with you. And he would sit here and play in my hair and do, do crap. And I remember one day we were filming and I, I had two um, big uh, elastic bands, you know, rubber bands. And I was doing that thing you do with them in your fingers when you're tying them up and doing that like knitting thing. And I was doing it while we were rehearsing. And he was sitting there watching me. And then the, the director said, okay, stand by, we're gonna shoot this. And I said, great, so I'm sitting there and I've got the, the things here and he says, action. And I went to start and he reached across, took them off me, put them on his fingers and sat and did exactly what I'd been doing in rehearsal with them while I was doing my dialogue behind, just beside my head. And I went, that's, 
we get ourselves to points where we forget there's a world out there and there's things that we don't understand that we should. And as an actor, I had taken myself to a point of where I locked myself in a cage. And sure, I was pigeonholed, but what I was allowing them to do was decide who I was. I wasn't deciding who I was. I was letting them decide. And once I figured that out on that, um, I, everything started to change because then I started doing a lot more roles where I was playing the good guy. Also, I still do. Well, I mean, I just finished a film where it's good go butchery from start to finish. But it's different now. It's not that same old, same old. Now it's me enjoying and being able to put a depth to the character that people aren't, aren't used to. People sort of watch me now and they go, dude, my God, you know, there was just this, I, I did this thing in um, New Mexico and I'm, my character's name is, uh, it's called um, Be Careful What You Wish For. Um, and the, the character's name is a surgeon. And basically I hack people up and take their organs and sell them because my daughter was denied that when she was young and she turned into, and it's basically all these people that don't deserve to live, you know, they're either um, junkies, uh, bikies, this kind of thing. And the character, like the director said to me, I wrote, you know, when we wrote this part, I just had a vision of someone who was known as a, doing these villain roles, doing this and making it villainous. Said you took a villainous role and gave it heart, compassion, and yet you still cut the hearts out of people under your scalpel and we accepted it. And he said, never would have guessed it. And it was, I couldn't have done that 20 years ago. I would not have done it. I would have just been, hack them up, cut them off, throw them out. Um, it would have been just another character that was villainous and vicious. But I can now go under that and beyond that and do these things, you know, like, you know, Santa. Santa had, had so many levels to him. He wasn't... And to me, he was hysterical because I kept thinking of all those little kids sitting on my knee when they were five. I'm never, ever, 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 ever going near that man again. He's horrible. <laughs> He's mean and rotten. Um, and that was what made the character so much fun. And I think it worked, personally. It did. And, it did. Uh, but that's just me. That's the way I am. I, I uh, you know, I, I have a problem. I have a a degree and I have a brain and I keep using it. I, I think as an actor, what I should have done was switched it off, but I can't. Um, it keeps telling me I should do things. What do you have a degree in? Um, electrical engineering. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 I know. I actually did three years in seminary college uh, to be a priest. Well, not a priest, but a minister. And I got asked not to come back because I asked too many questions. <laughs> you know what, though? It's good research from for roles and stuff. You know, now you can actually play the priest and know how it's supposed oh, yeah. to go. 
I know. I, I, to me, it was like, huh, because I'm Buddhist. So, and I'm Buddhist because Buddhism isn't a religion in per se religion. Buddhism is a way of life where we treat each other. We treat humanity. We treat the world. Everything within the world has a right and should be here. And that's how we treat it. And my whole life, 37 years ago, when I started doing that, changed. Because I became more centered, more relaxed, more human, so to speak. And uh, my humanity started to show, uh, which was kind of interesting for someone who always disguised it and played all these roles of, of people who would kill you at the drop of a hat. Um, so I think that we all, we're all on a journey. It's just the problem is that most of us keep getting off when the train stops at the station instead of sticking around for the whole ride. And um, I've been sticking around for the whole ride and enjoying it and loving it. And things get better. And I get to have you. And by the way, I would like to compliment you, if you don't mind. You're absolutely stunningly beautiful. And I oh, work you. with a lot of incredible people. But you have something about you, young lady, which is just... You just thank you. It. And it's really... You have a thing. You have an innocence, and you like you're a 16 year old girl, you're so fascinated and excited by it all. But underneath that, you know that, that you, your maturity, you've got five kids for God's sake, your maturity <laughs> is there, but you also have this other side to you, which I love. It's just fascinating talking to you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's very sweet. Oh, um, I by people too. I um uh, I I have absolutely enjoyed talking to you. I I am thrilled to have been able to, and it is an honor and a joy. Um, I do hope you do come back and talk about some more of your projects. That would I be will. fun. Where can people find you to follow you? Are you on any social medias or anything? On everything. On everything. On okay, everything. and it's and your it's name. Always under my name because I that's the only name I've got. All righty. That hard to find. You have a really great rest of your day. Thank you, sweetheart. You too. And um, have a wonderful um, Christmas. Oh, and please you tell your children that Santa isn't really that bad. This has been an Odd Imagination production. Here at Odd Imagination, you'll find book, film, television, and product reviews, as well as roundtable discussions, current events, and hot topics. We are advocates for equality and the freedom to be who you are, no matter what. Odd Imagination gets its name from autism and imagination, two things that are very important to us. If you would like more information on Odd Imagination and the podcasts that we host on our website, you can visit autimagination.org, A-U-T-I-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N.org.